There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When Andy Mitten was commissioned to go to Mexico in search of Diego Maradona, he could have been forgiven for thinking twice. Not only was the Argentine legend one of the most elusive former footballers in the world, he was also managing the Mexican second division club Dorados, who happened to be based in the state of Sinaloa. And if you happen to have heard of Sinaloa, it is probably because it is home to the Sinaloa Cartel, one of the biggest drug trafficking organisations in the world. More El Chapo than El Diego. So what did Andy do? Well, he slipped out early from a night match at Old Trafford and began his epic journey. The result was a spectacular piece of gonzo journalism which appeared in 442 in the summer of 2019. Here Andy tells us what it was like to write one of the most memorable pieces of his career. Okay Andy, so I want to start off by talking about the idea itself. This was obviously an idea which was brought to you by, I think it was James Brown, the editor-in-chief of 442. Many might remember James as the editor of Loaded back in the 90s. Um, can you tell me a little bit about you know where the idea came from and, and how, how he got you to buy it? Into it. James did edit Loaded with great success in the 90s and then he went on to edit GQ which is where I started to know him and since 2001 I'd written for 442 magazine and then in the last year I just stopped writing for them I'd not had any fallout or anything like that I just I stopped pitching stuff to them and I don't know why James rang me up in, in March February and asked me why and I, and I said I, I don't know and he said that he associated me more with 442 than anything apart from United We Stand and the pieces I'd written on Derby games around the world in the in the noughties. And then he told me that he'd got the job as editor-in-chief and he wanted me back in there and he, he wanted me to be editor-at-large because he wanted me out on the road writing and doing the sort of journalism he thought I, I did well. And when I used to work for 442 under a, a previous editor, Hugh Slate, he was massively enthusiastic about getting me in the mix so he'd ring me up and ask me about Man United and by the end of the phone call he'd be sending me to the Faroe Islands or to a derby game and asking me to infiltrate or or get in with some some ultras and I love that style of journalism and I went to see James in London and he said Maradona's in in Mexico why is he there and I didn't even know that he was in Mexico it wasn't my idea I think it was the idea of, of one of the, the staff writers, Chris Flanagan. And James said, he's in Sinaloa. And for me, Sinaloa meant home of drug cartels. And James said, why don't you go out there? Could we go out there? Could you interview him? And I'm thinking, yeah, but I knew Maradona didn't do interviews. And I also knew it would be very expensive. And James's initial idea was to send a very sort of laddish photographer with me someone who in his words could look after himself and I also knew that we would need more than one piece from Mexico because 
how much it's going to cost, you know, probably £5,000 to send a photographer and a journalist to Mexico. Now, my stars aligned in some ways because on the 6th of March, I went to Madrid to cover Real Madrid against Ajax. And the day before, I went to a concert by a Scottish band called Deacon Blue. And I didn't tell anyone I was going to that concert. I went because my dad really liked Deacon Blue and my dad passed away in November. And I just thought, I want to go and watch Deacon Blue by myself. I didn't even tell my wife. And I'm just going to drink dark rum and coke, which is what my dad drank. And I'm going to have a night to myself. And I went to a market in the middle of Madrid, one of the most famous markets there. I had a copy of the New York Times, which I picked up at an airport. I just wanted to read it in paper, not be on my phone and eat decent tapas and have a few beers and then get on the dark rum and coke. And when I was there, this very well-to-do, well-educated Mexican family stood on the table next to me as I stood up. And as I'd lost my New York Times without reading a word of it, I was at a bit of a loose end. I still had three hours to kill. And this family were like the most beautiful looking family in the world. And there was mum, there was grandma, there was dad, there was son and there were two daughters. And they started talking to me. They were in Europe to, to fix up a passport. And they were asking me about Mexico and what I knew about Mexico. And I'm, I, I travel a lot. I've been to more than 100 countries, but I felt a bit of an idiot because I was saying uh, El Chapo, tequila, tacos, war, Mexico 86, the Zapatistas in the south of the country. And they were laughing at me saying, you're supposed to be a well-informed journalist. You know absolutely nothing about our country. We, we love football here. And I spoke to them for two hours. And about an hour and a half in, the, the, the two girls uh, said, I said, what do you do? And, and they were Instagrammers. They had like half a million followers. I realise I'm probably talking to the Kardashians of Mexico here. And, and they said, you know, come to Monterey. It's a huge football city. We've got two big clubs there. And in the back of my mind, I remembered seeing a photo of the new stadium in, in Monterey with this background of these lush mountains. And that set a little bell off as a journalist, but I was thinking, I can't go to Mexico for, for a photo. So when James Brown said go, I thought I might be able to go to Monterey. And then I looked at the football fixtures and I saw there was a chance that the two teams from Monterey, who are among the most powerful in Mexico, especially now, were on course to meet in their version of the European Cup final. And I thought, if this came off, this could just be brilliant. And they both carried on winning. And after their first like, semi-final wins, I thought, they're going to meet in the final here. And the final was set for the 1st of May. I couldn't just drop all my work and go to Mexico. I'm, I'm very, very busy. I'm married with two young children. I travel a lot, but I, I have to get a balance. And I saw that Mexico's season for Maradona was going to finish at uh, the end of April. If they got into the playoffs, it would carry on a little bit. But they were, they were sixth in the table and they needed to get... They were way off. They needed to win, start winning. And they did start winning. And I, I said to, to James... I reckon we can pull this together, but we just need everything to fall into place. And then I spoke to Maradona's club, Dorados, which is also where Pep Guardiola played. And they said, we'd love you to come. We want you to write about us. It was for 442. It's the biggest football magazine in the world. People want to be in it. That's one reason I, I like writing for it. But but Maradona does no interviews. I said, OK. And James said, just just still go. And I love that faith that an editor puts into a, into a writer. And you don't get so much of it now because journalism can be, can be quite tight financially. 
and Dorados kept winning and this Champions League final, the CONCACAF final, was soon set for uh, Monterey. So I thought, there's my two stories. And I booked the flights. So the flight's probably £1,100. The original photographer couldn't do it. So James said, I'm going to send a, a war photographer with you from the New York Times. And actually, that had come from me because Rory Smith, who's another journalist, he'd been in Argentina with an Argentinian photographer for the New York Times. And, and he said he'd used this really good photographer who was tough and talented and I got in touch with her Toya she's based in Mexico City and spoke to her and, and she was up for doing it so I was to fly to Mexico I left Old Trafford 10 minutes before the end of a terrible game against Chelsea in April I flew to Paris and then I flew back over Manchester like four hours later towards yeah. Mexico City and when I was in Paris Charles de Gaulle I texted my contact at Dorados, who was pretty standoffish, and he just confirmed that the team had open training tomorrow and that Maradona would be there. And I thought, I've got, a, I've got a chink of light here. I've got, I know where he's going to be at five p.m. tomorrow. So I landed in Mexico. I flew on to uh, Sinaloa. In the meantime, all I'd read about Sinaloa was, do not go there. The UK government, the US government said, it's Category Four. It's, it's the most their highest category it's the same as, as Syria and the phrase was something like attacks are commonplace banditry and robbery is, is frequent don't don't go there uh, but I thought someone's not just gonna shoot me getting a taxi from the airport to an Ibis hotel I just applied common sense to it and, and I, I'm, I'm not foolhardy and there's been times where I've pulled back from stories where for example some ultras in a country in the former Yugoslavia were saying, uh, come on, Andy, together we attack the police. And I thought, I don't want to be attacking any police uh, with a load of, of, of dangerous people. But with this, I, I thought, it's a city of 800,000 people. It's got to be functioning norm relatively normally, despite everybody associating it with, with El Chapo and with the narco gangs. And I arrived there. Uh, the photographer flew in. I met her. I'd made contact with the other family from Monterey, so I had five days there to do it. I was jet lagged. We took a, an Uber to the middle of the city and it was surprisingly normal. We walked around, it was swelteringly hot. Couldn't find any evidence of Rayados in the city. I saw one newspaper seller with a, a pitiful number of newspapers on sale, which depressed me a little bit because I, I love print. And on the front page, there was a headline saying uh, playoff fever hits Sinaloa with a queue of hundreds of people for the game. And then we got to the stadium where training was going to be. We were two hours early. I wanted to mix and speak to people and, and I did that. And several themes emerged. They all liked Maradona, who was playing good football. They found him to be a decent person. He was regularly turning up to the baseball games. He was regularly turning up to the 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 orphanages uh, try to help the street people and then I spoke to some how shall I say it diplomatically colourful characters who are probably known to the police outside the stadium and, and they gave me a backdrop of the, the, the drug problems in, in Sinaloa once it established that I wasn't American and I was British and you, you've got to, as a journalist you've got to build up a trust with people and I'm asking them what do you know about Manchester where I'm from have you ever heard of Manchester United and, and they hadn't which was a surprise 
but they had heard of the Beatles and they had heard of the Queen and they had heard of Lady Diana and they were good with me they, you know gradually they started to tell me more information how the trouble had had calmed uh, it had been very very dangerous and and they said that the local narco chiefs were were well known they were popular they redistributed funds and I spoke to them for a long time and all the time the photographer was, te- was getting good pictures and then we walked to the stadium and they said, yeah, the team are going to be arriving in an hour. Maradona will be here when he feels like it. And the press office were, were, were better then because I physically turned up. Like, welcome. Who do you want to speak to? Any of the players? And I'm thinking, great, we can speak to the players. I, I, I said, I'd like to speak to the club president because at least he's a man who's hired Maradona. I spoke to local journalists. They were saying, yeah, you, you, you'll never get Maradona. And I'm looking at them thinking, okay, you, you, you're working for a local paper in Sinaloa, but with respect, I've come off a lot, lot further and I'm working for a much bigger outlet. Not that that would always hold any sway with Maradona. So I sat in the stand watching training and Maradona walked out onto the pitch and it was incredible because about 100 fans had come and they all started singing his name. And Maradona just sat on an icebox once he'd ambled across the field and... Physically, he's not in the best of health. His, his knees give him problems. And he, he was wearing a cap with Diego Maradona on, on the peak of it. And, and he just watched this orchestra perform for him. And he was clearly in a good mood, bouncing around and singing. And his team were winning and they were playing good football. And his players just had to wait for an hour while their master was serenaded in song by adoring <laughs> fans. So the photographer was getting pictures from a distance because we weren't allowed onto the pitch. I was getting bitten by by flies and a man came up to me of similar age to me. I'm 45. He had a full kit on and he said in, in I might not look it, in, in perfect English, he said, I might not look it, but I'm the president of this club. I've heard, I've heard about you. And I sat down and spoke to him for 70 minutes and he was fascinating and he gave me really good stuff about how he'd given Maradona the job. And I was thinking, right, if nothing else, I've got the president... And we've got pictures of Maradona in the bag. And it was telling me how his son was a big Newcastle United fan. Talking about the issues in Mexican football, how it's impossible to get out the second division, how the nearest away game is an eight-hour drive away. And it was, it was, it was a, a well-educated and very interesting club president. And, and, and I liked him. And I was making notes furiously. And I'm getting bitten all the time. And I said, I'm getting bitten. And he said, yeah, there's a river behind that stand over there. We're going to have the stadium fumigated before the game on Thursday. Uh, In the meantime, and he shouted one of his players over and he came over with some baby oil. And we both sat there rubbing baby oil into our legs. But the damage had been done. I'd been bitten about 70 times. And all around my ankles, they like the ankles of Mancunians. They like my Mancunian blood. And, And... I said to him, everything you're telling me is great, but can I not just speak to Maradona? Because I've been told he does no interviews and no one-on-one interviews. He does his sort of pre-match stuff, but that's pretty boring because it's just a press conference which anyone can get. And the president said, well, who told you he does no interviews? And I said, well, several of your employees. (laughs) And I know that they're just protecting. And, And he said, have you met Maradona's wife? I said, no, I've not. Of course not. He said, come on, I'll go and introduce you. So I walked over along the stand where Maradona's partner, I'm not sure if it's his wife, 
was sat with a gentleman and one of Diego's sons. And she said, where have you come from? I said, I'm, I'm from Manchester in England. And I've come to, to write about this guy from Buenos Aires called Diego. She said, oh, my, my husband. I said, yeah, that's the one. I said, but he doesn't do any interviews, does he? She said, well, who's told you that? And I, I told her that I'd been to, to, to Argentina and she asked me where I'd been in Argentina. I've been several times. I, I go to South America every couple of years. My wife's from Southern Brazil and I always try and write football stories there. She said, oh, come on, I'm sure I can have a word for you. And so I've got his wife and I've got the club president on my side now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we continue with this episode of Between the Lines, I want to tell you about two books from Backpage that you might be interested in. Firstly, Pep City, The Making of a Super Team by Lou Martin and Paul Ballas, two Spanish sports writers who have been embedded with Manchester City since Pep Guardiola arrived in the summer of 2016. No other journalist has had this kind of access and the result is a behind the scenes account of how Guardiola's winning machine was built and what it takes to keep it on the road. This features exclusive interviews with everyone from Pep and the strategists on the board to the superstar players who won all there is to win in English football last season. And if you're interested in what the next level in the football arms race might look like, check out Astro Ball, the new way to win it all by Ben Reiter, who has appeared in this series of Between the Lines interviewed by Neil about this book. Even if you don't speak baseball, if you're interested in where any pro sport and especially elite football is heading in terms of recruitment, data and optimization, then you need to read this inside account of how the worst team in baseball were turned into serial winners thanks to a strategic revolution. It's Moneyball, the next chapter. Pep City, the making of a super team and Astro Ball, the new way to win it all, out now from Backpage. And the president walked down from the stand onto the pitch where the training session had finally finished. And he's having a word with him, with Diego, who sat stretching on a mat. And then the president signaled for me to go down onto the pitch. So I walked onto the pitch and just kept my distance about 10 metres away from where the president was talking to Diego Maradona. And I told the photographer to come with me. And she was switched on and she, was, she, ju she just knew how to do a job well and I looked round she was crouched down she was firing off shots and then Maradona signal beckoned me over come here come here and uh, Manchester yeah Manchester and um, I came over and started talking to him and he, he doesn't speak English so we were speaking in Spanish 
And given I spend most of my time in Barcelona, that was absolutely fine. He started saying, I used to be a Man United fan and, and I loved watching him, but then I switched to Manchester City because uh, my well, his former nephew, Con Aguero, joined them. And I said, you, you can't just switch teams. I said, I said, you can't just switch from Boca to River, can you? I mean, it's ridiculous. And he said, well, no, but you've got to understand it. His, his, his family... And, and and then now it's Guardiola and he started sketching out why Guardiola was so good by, by tactically drawing these imaginary shapes. Then we started talking and, and I asked him why he was in Mexico and, and we started this interview. Now, it's not a conventional interview because there's no start and stop and I'm not really supposed to... What's happening? How long do I stretch this out for? And all his players are sat around listening to the interview because... They're quite intrigued that I've come from Manchester. It, it's they associate it with football. It's it's one good thing about being from from that city. Among the many good things is people associated with football. And he carried on talking to me, and, and he was good. And he said, "Yeah, I was there at Old Trafford in in '84, and we should have won, and we had a penalty, and it wasn't given." And I remember playing against Brian Robson. Uh, what a player, Robson. Him and Graham Souness, brilliant, brilliant players. And uh, among the best I ever played against. And I thought, well, we're on a roll here. We're getting, we're getting good stuff. And uh, he asked me about coming to Argentina. And I said it was common for me to be in stadiums in Argentina where the whole stadium sings, if you don't stand up and dance, you're an Englishman. And there's a lot of anti-English sentiment around the... It's a legacy of the Falklands War. So even though my times in Argentina have been fantastic and I love the place, the, the Falklands is still is still prevalent. And he said, well, what did you do? And I said, well, when I was at River Plate, I, I had this backstory that I'm a, an Irish tourist from Dublin. And when I was at Argentinos Juniors, your former club, I, I just rang my dad up I said, and I said, Dad, you're not going to believe what's happening here. I said, the whole stadium is bouncing singing If You Don't Dance, You're an Englishman. And some veterans from the Falklands War have just walked onto the pitch with massive Falkland Island flags in the colours of Argentina. And I said, why are you in Mexico? And, and he told me how happy he was, how he was anonymous in the street. And I could tell that his players loved him. One of them had a tattoo of him on his leg. And he brought a couple of Argentinians in. And I'd never associated Maradona with being a great manager but he's clearly got something he just has he'd, he'd won loads of games and I think he's got a good coaching team around him he brings sort of four or five Argentinian guys with him and the, the chat was going well and I said of course you've been to Mexico before just leave, leave him, in, him open to say 1986 when he scored with the, with the hand of God he was laughing saying yeah, what a great moment what a great game and I was letting him have his say he's the star of the interview and so we, we got a good in interview I would have liked it to have been an hour long but I, I was very aware that I couldn't take the piss uh, of, how, of how the interview had come about and how he was waiting to go back into the training room and also we had an audience for the interview the president was listening in the photographer was snapping away and then he, he left we shook hands he had a picture taken with 442 and I'm thinking this my editor is going to be so pleased now and he said 442 I'm going to text my good friends uh, Ricky Vieira and Osvaldo Ardiles and tell them that I'm in 442 and I'm thinking my editor is going to be even more pleased with this he walked away and then he came back and he said 
you know, you've told me you're a Manchester United fan. It's that club's good at selling shirts, but they need me as manager. And as he said it, I thought, these quotes are just going to go around the world. And all the clickbait sites are going to pick up on it. That'll be great, but it's also a shame because a lot of people won't read the full story because some people just aren't prepared to pay for content. And to buy a magazine, to pay for the substantial costs of sending journalists to places like Mexico. And when he said that, I thought, wow, this, this, this is going to go around the world. And we said our goodbyes and we walked away from the stadium and the photographer and I were absolutely elated. And we went back into the city centre and... So I sent um, a picture to, to James Brown on WhatsApp when I got back to the hotel. And he woke up at 5am and he was a kid at Christmas because his decision to send me was absolutely vindicated. And he started his next editorial by saying how happy he was when, when he got that. And, and I, I, I love the fact that he's prepared to invest in journalism like that. And I did my very, very best to get the story and I got it. And I'd do it again. And I've, I've, I've got similar in the past. All right, maybe not with Maradona. But as a journalist, you've sometimes just got to, you've got to do it. You've got to be a good people person. I mean, in terms of the, the kind of in search of Diego um, trope, and, and it's quite an interesting one where you, you kind of go on this physical journey. I, mean, I remember years ago in Loaded, I think it was Tim Southwell went in search of Tiger Woods. And, and you know, it's quite, it's quite an interesting trope, that. But it doesn't always end with the type of access that you got. And that was the kind of the real twist in the story. Because, I mean, I, I love the travelogue elements to the story. I love the way it was rattling along in this epic trip. But to get the quality of material that you got from him in the end, that was a big surprise for me because, I don't know, I guess I'd kind of written him off as a, as a kind of serious football person, if you like. I wasn't ready for the kind of level of recall that he had about, you know, that match in 1984, the Cup Winners' Cup quarterfinal. Um, some of the points he was making, it didn't sound like the Maradona that we've kind of come to know through the mass media over the last couple of decades, if you know what I mean. So, so you know, that must have been the great revelation for you. It must have been, wait a minute, we're hearing something that we've not heard in a long, long time from this guy. And my previous image of Maradona uh, was seeing him escorted from a box, completely drunk and intoxicated during the World Cup in Russia. That was the last I'd seen of him in the public eye. I didn't even know he was in Mexico until I was told by, by 442 magazine. Yeah. And if you look at his coaching career, it's patchy. He's, he's gone to places where there's money and... I didn't know what to expect, but then a manager's judged by his results and his team were winning. His team got to the playoff final of, of, the, of a division which is the most hard to get out of in world football because the, the top flight in Mexico is basically a closed shop. And, and if they'd finished 17th, then I wouldn't be writing how I wrote. But I could see with my own eyes how much his players adored him. They just adored him. That was quite beautiful that football allows that. The fans adored him. There were interesting side angles he's wearing a, a cap with his own head on I mean only only Maradona could wear that if you if a normal human wore a picture of himself he'd rightly get slaughtered and I know he divides opinion massively uh, some of my close friends are Argentinian and and one of them uh, she just she just said I, I don't like him I don't like him uh, and and she's a well-educated Argentinian and she said, I hope you asked him about all the children he, ha he has in Cuba. And, and I didn't. I know that he divides opinion, but I also know he, he's, he's worshipped when he's in Argentina, which is another reason why he has to get out of Argentina, because it can become overwhelming. But I heard genuinely good stories about him 
in Sinaloa. Now, if I'd heard bad stories, I would have written them as well. If I'd heard that it was an arrogant knobhead, I would have written that. And I did get lucky. The stars did align. They don't always align like that. I do feel that his personality isn't predictable and that if I'd gone the next day, he could have been in a completely different mood. I heard stories of him saying, of journalists turning up and saying, yeah, I'll do it for $20,000, $50,000. And I got lucky, but I, I think you've, you've got to be in the mix to get lucky. And James's decision to, to send me there and spend, I don't know what, ends up being probably £5,000 of the, of the magazine's money, absolutely vindicated that. And I put a picture out of, of Maradona with, with uh, and created a lot of interest what you then want is that to translate into people buying the magazine and a lot of people told me that they did buy the magazine and journalism's not free it needs to be funded of course what you then get is you come back and everyone's delighted and where can you go next can you go to north korea and i'm like <laughs> i love it but when i got back from mexico uh, i went via oslo where i where i did a job because man united are very popular and i was exhausted for a week I don't think anyone listening to this will have any sympathy with me whatsoever, but I was exhausted. I'm not flying in business, I'm flying in economy. It, it, it takes a lot out of you that sort of mentally you don't want to come back with nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of want, I want to ask you a bit about that, about the, I mean, people will listen to this and think, well, you know, that's the greatest job in the world, but you know, that that's serious pressure. You know, you've got somebody chucking £5,000 at an assignment and you really need to deliver on some level and and I guess that's at the back of your mind throughout the whole or the front of your mind throughout the whole trip but also the, the sheer euphoria when, when you, you manage to, to get something like that in the bag it's a high stakes trip yeah it is but I'm used to pressure I'm under pressure every day maybe not as much as that but that's my job it's a job I absolutely love and I'm, I'm not for, for, for wilting and I always knew that if I got the club president and I got a picture of Maradona, I could get a decent piece with lots of the gonzo journalism because James likes that and I quite like that as well. And maybe there'd been too many interviews in 442, which were sponsor led and, you know, huge name players who said nothing. And, and James wanted to push back a, a, against that and to provide some proper journalism. And I also knew that I could get a piece on Monterey. And I knew that I could get that that golden shot of the stadium with the mountain in the background, which we didn't end up using because we we didn't have a we didn't have a drone or we didn't have a seat high enough in the stadium to get that. But even in Monterey, I turned up at the stadium and it was the Champions League final, and it was full of like really rich people. I just thought this is not what I expected. And an undercover policeman come up to me, could see that I wasn't from there, asked me who I was, what I was doing. Turns out he was with the police photographer and he just said, there's no story for you here. And I said, I know. And he said, do you want to come where the story is? It's about 800 metres from here. That's where all the real ultras are meeting up. And I called the photographer over using the policeman's phone because the roaming charges in Mexico were off the scale. So there's little logistical sides like that. And then we walked through the crowds, which got more and more raffish till, till the point that we were surrounded by people who were just off the box bouncing around singing uh, the policeman said do you want to stand on the riot van and I did that was just a kid in me who doesn't want to stand on top of a riot van and, and observe what's going on and they just said watch your bags and the photographer's camera probably cost $10,000 but she, she'd been in worse places 
And the people around me, where are you from? I'm Manchester. Yeah, Manchester, United City, United City. And you could get an instant report with them. And they were great with me. They were really flattered that I'd gone to Mexico to write about them. And you often find that if you go and speak to people, it doesn't matter where they are in the world and you're pleasant with them. They're exactly the same with you. And I got in touch with the Mexican family. They said, we'll come and pick you up. And they, they did do. And they were really famous in Monterey. And they were a delight. And the mum turned up. And she looked like Miss World. And the daughters and her husband, who was a senator. So I got to speak to him about Mexican politics. And it was a really nice story. I just met them by chance in a bar in a market in Madrid and I just offered to move up so that they'd have a bit more space and they took me to a beautiful part of, of Monterey and they were quite appalled that I was only staying in an Ibis hotel because that was too down, down market for them but I was fine with an Ibis, it's clean, it was central enough and we had a good night but by that point I was exhausted, I wasn't eating. What I'd done is I'd, fly, I'd flown and flown and flown and I'd only been in Sinaloa for two days before getting up very early yeah. to fly to Monterey. And, and it, it just does catch up with you. And, and I'm 45, I'm not 22. I've got to listen to my body a bit. And I, I look after myself. When I'm on these trips, I'll, I'll go running. I, I, I won't have a lot of alcohol because I burn out quickly if, if I do. And the days of the sort of the, the, the journalists going on the trips and having having a two day bender, that doesn't apply to me. I couldn't do my job if I did that. I, I, I love I love a beer. But when I go on these trips, I've re you've just really got to look after yourself. And even then I was exhausted when, when I came home, because if you're flying through the night, it's, it's, it's going to take his toll. But I got two stories I was absolutely delighted with. I write every day in my life. And that Maradona story is the... Uh, is the best piece that I've done th this year. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting you talk about the, the kind of arduous nature of the trip and, and that's what that's what kind of captivated me about the story even before we heard from, from Diego himself because, you know, this sort of tradition of, you know, that gonzo journalism we were talking about earlier where the assignment kind of takes its pound of flesh out of, of the writer, um, maybe quite literally in your case with the mosquitoes, but, you know, the, there was a lovely kind of romance about you leaving Old Trafford like with 10 minutes to go in this game, you know, you kind of leaving this, amazing cathedral of football in, in England and then travelling and then 20, 22 hours later you're, you're in this little um, backwater um, but you know that that's a, that's a tough that's a tough trip but I guess that's such an important element in the story that kind of travelogue element that you're kind of logging that journey and if you'd given yourself an easier time getting there and getting home then it wouldn't hold the same drama yeah I don't have the time I've got two young children and I've got to work within the boundaries which uh, which I set myself. I love travel. I love meeting people. I'm passionate about about both, and it's an important part of being a journalist. And I almost got a buzz when I found out it was possible to leave Old Trafford. That I could get I could get the last flight to Paris, which connected to Mexico City. Yeah. And when I got to Manchester Airport, a, a, a well-known United fan called Tony Park, this is a lad with like 60,000 followers on Twitter, he, he's really into the youth football, he saw me there and he was going to work in Paris and, and he said, you've not been to the game, have you? And I said, of course I have. And he said, well, I looked at it, but I thought it was impossible to get to. And, and, he, and he lives in Manchester and I'd come from Barcelona. And, and I, but but what, what, I, what I didn't say was, when I left Old Trafford, I had my little brother waiting around the back of the Stretford end yeah. and we had this plan to wait by the minute. He was going to zip me through to Manchester Airport and I'm, 
I'm checking throughout the game that the, the motorway's clear because if it was busy, it would have screwed me. And he followed me in my hire car to Manchester Airport. We swapped cars near the airport. Uh, I jumped out the terminal, ran in. He returned my hire car. He rang me up and said they're trying it on with the hire car, saying there's a scratch there, but I've told them where to go. And <laughs> the company had used had a bit of a reputation for that. And then I went uh, through. I went through security at Manchester Airport. The guy who let me through Reeds United we stand, so he waved me through. So that was another bonus because it could, you know, that doesn't happen. That's never happened before. I mean, I meet readers all the time, but I needed that little bit of luck then. Uh, I got into into the airport. The flight was on time. I needed that to happen because if it was the, the connection in Paris Charles de Gaulle was one hour, and I'm thinking, who on earth allows a one hour connection? But once you're on that Air France Air Mexico. Um, hybrid, it's their responsibility to get you there. I knew that if I missed that and the flight was delayed, uh, I'd be missing my connection to Sinaloa. I'd basically lose 24 hours out of the 48 hours I was there, and I would lose that open training session. So a lot, a lot went to chance, but they took my money and they were responsible, and and it all and it all came off. And at four o'clock in the morning, I was in Mexico Airport. The flight to Sinaloa was on time. The Mexican people I met were were, were very friendly, but. I don't think Sinaloa is going to see a surge in tourism anytime soon. <laughs> Just finally, Andy, I want to talk about the the length of the piece because that was one thing that really excited me when I started reading it, um, and I got I got really into it by you know three hundred words in, and I, I always do this thing where. It, if I really enjoy reading a piece, I flick on to see how long it is. And I kept turning pages and I thought, this is brilliant because this is, it was a longer piece than you would usually read in 442. I think I heard you say it was something like 4,000 words and that must have been great to kind of have that canvas when you've got a story this big. It was great and it's to James Brown's credit that he says that you will get as much space as you need. If an editor trusts a writer like that, that is a great feeling. Now, you can't be you can't be too indulgent. You've got to know how to do your job. You've got to know how to get the balance. Your loyalty should always be to the reader to tell them the best story possible. You don't want to put too much of yourself in it because they're reading it to find out about Maradona. But you're also aware that people might be interested in in the story, and, and it is a long form magazine. And James just James had known the former editor of Vanity Fair, uh, Graydon Carter, if I'm not mistaken, and I think he took a lot of nods from him. And I felt that if I, if I said to James, I want 7,000 words, I felt he would have given it to me. He believes in, in a story. And when I started writing it up, it just flowed so quickly. And when that happens, you, you, you're buzzing as you're writing it. You're thinking, yeah. and, 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 and hopefully that, sh- that shows through with the reader and didn't really change the copy at all. And James is, James is very talented. He's got a really good eye for, for captions, for detail. And he'll say to me, the end needs working on. If, if need be and I suppose it's just having a good working relationship maybe like a, 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 fo- a footballer in a team with his manager if there's a trust there and he gave me the space and also we had the good pictures as well so it, it all came together now there'll be times in my job this year and there's been times since where, where stuff hasn't come off but that absolutely came off and, and I'm delighted that it did it, it would be one of my top five pieces in my, my entire time as a journalist
Thanks to Andy for agreeing to this interview. Check him out on Twitter at Andy Mitten and please check out the rest of this season of Between the Lines. The first three episodes feature interviews with Ben Writer, Oliver Kay and Lawrence Donegan. The next two weeks feature episodes on the late great sports writer Hugh McIlvanny. Finally, if you've enjoyed this, please leave us a review, tell a friend, help spread the word. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.